composing the mind, bringing together everything at this top of the wandering, desultory activities of thinking is to be here with the breath, the, the body, the sound of silence. So, these are the kind of objects that one can remember to, to bring us into the present from, uh, you know, from wandering, worrying about the future or regretting the past. It's getting to know these very well, you know, so it's not just, not just theory anymore, but like, because they aren't outstanding in themselves, they're not extremities of experience, the breathing, the, the experience of sitting, sound of silence, then, then uh, the more urgent messages from the world can e easily take us over. Community problems, personal problems, world problems, the injustices, unfairnesses, one's own agenda as a personality can, can take over very easily. These, these have a kind of urgent, important uh, vibration to them. Me and mine can be very urgent. You know, like, what about me? Uh, you know, what I think, my opinion, what I want, what I need. And these kind of messages have this uh, very kind of urgent quality that, that demands attention. Where the breath, the sitting posture, sometimes don't demand attention. Unless you're, you know, you're having asthmatic attack or in incredible pain while sitting. So the, so the world is, is very demanding, you know, it's, it has urgency, it has importance, it's, it's horrible, it's wonderful, it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it's the extremities of conditions. So that's why it's easy, easy for us all to get world, world away with worldly uh, important issues. So getting to notice this, this sense of, you know, this, this screaming voice inside, this, this is really important. You can't just ignore this, this you've got to pay attention to, and this is a real problem we have to solve, and we can't stand for this kind of behavior anymore, we have to stop it, we have to get rid of the Al-Qaeda terrorists. And so this, 
this uh, get to know this this uh, energy in oneself that that uh, gets hysterical demanding takes one over and then you know if, if we you know we can influence each other like somebody that that has this ability to get in this kind of state of intensity when you meet them you you start feeling it yourself It gets into kind of very righteous positions of we've got to set right what is wrong and we've got to punish somebody, can't let them can't let them get away with it. So these are the kind of true but not right, right but not true paradox. But to, to just be aware of this in yourself when when this kind of energy takes over, you know, is uh, to be reflect on it, this sense of of real urgency, real importance. What is this? You know, are we going to be caught in it every time it happens to us, or can we look at it in a different way? It's not to say something isn't important when it is or urgent when it's not, you know, but it's getting to, to uh, recognize the, the energies that affect consciousness and how blinding they can be, you know, in the name of righteousness, justice and so forth, we can, we can do very harmful things to ourselves and others. So the world does have this, you know, it has, it's very, what happens in the world is terribly important, usually politically, socially, the economy, uh, the human rights, the, uh, you know, democracy, freedom, all these things are important. I'm not saying they're not important or to dismiss them. But they can also be the things that trigger off, you know, make us blind to what's actually happening. Getting into causes, you know, for is a one that. that Easily, you know, we're we're all interested in fairness and justice and in doing what is right and compassion, kindness, so forth. So these are these are ideals to be uh, respected. But in awareness now, we're not we're not we're not just blindly uh, letting these ideals. Uh, uh, you know, this attachment to an ideal take us over out of ignorance, no matter how high or 
or wonderful the ideal might be, our way now is through awareness rather than through attachment to how things should be. So you hear rumors, you know, in the monastic life, in the Buddhist world, you hear all kinds of rumors about, you know, the grapevine and what various teachers say and teach and what we say about each other and our opinions about other Buddhists and other groups. So this is still the world, isn't it? The world of the social world that we live in, the Buddhist connections that we have all over the, this planet. So, you know, what happens here affects New Zealand, the Buddhists in New Zealand, Australia, uh, the United States, and so that we're, you know, the, the grapevine and the media are very quickly, the instant. And in Thailand, you know, now there's this kind of a lot of scandals around misbehavior of monks and and uh, various rumors about the government and the forest tradition and Sangharaja and various other high-ranking monks. And it brings up this sense of, you know, of these, these urgent energies, these kind of, so we've got to do something, we can't stand this, we've, this is terrible. And that we get into, you know, a kind of wanting to punish the bad ones and make everything right as an act of will. In terms of, like, with the monastic sangha, you know, there's... Uh, the, you know, the Buddha established the, the monastic Sangha in order to give us perspective on the world. Because in, in its own way, it's a convention outside the worldly conventions. Depends on the goodness and kindness and that of the worldly, of the worldly society around us. But it, it's, we're not a political body or, you know, we're not passing value judgments about political parties or views or taking positions in, in some kind of, as a group, to, uh, to uh, approve or disapprove of, say, of um, social political issues. Uh, our function is a, is a moral one to encourage this in the world because the, this is where the, the, the various extremities of behavior you know can be uh, we can agree or not to, to act in extreme ways even though we might despise another political group or another social group on the moral level we refrain from 
speaking and acting in in abusive, harmful ways. And so the the value of a of a monastic song, of a Buddhist monastic song, as I as I've interpreted it from the scriptures and the the point, you know, what the Buddha was pointing to was it's like a an, a thread in society that keeps it balanced. You know, if you have some kind of standard uh, that ke- that can remind the society when it gets carried away by its uh, fears and desires. Because this is, you know, we can point to, we see it in ourselves, you know, we certainly have preferences politically, you know, we have, whether you move to the left or the right, center right, center left, middle center. <laughs> the, you know, on a personal level, we can, you know, have preferences. You know, I certainly do. I have preferences as a person. But on the level of of uh, awareness and in the in the conventional role of a bhikkhu, you know, my I feel my contribution to the society is through this steadiness of awareness rather than than uh, acting and moving into the left or right. So when this this uh, kind of energy takes me over, you know, I get, you know, I get indignant about something. I feel very strong emotions about something or somebody. Then I see this as opportunity to reflect on it. You know, so getting back to the breath, the posture, the sound of silence. I stop this, just the suppressing or indulging in this energy, but more or less focusing on it, beginning to recognize it in terms of what it is in the present, the here and now. <clears throat> so encouraging, you know, this is, this is integrating practice of mindfulness into uh, the conventional realities that we're living living in at this time. So I can hear, you know, if I'm really wound up about some particular cause or situation, you know, because of the 
power of practice, I can reflect on it. I can see this kind of this this kind of screaming thing in me, like a screaming voice that that uh, this is terrible. This shouldn't be. We've got to do something, and on and on like that. And then more of just the energy of it, the kind of way that, because it's, when you get into extremities, then, then the energy is also extreme. That's why it's so overwhelming, you know, to, to us. If we're not, if we're not awake and aware, we get taken over by these, uh, strong feelings. We become those feelings themselves. So this is establishing like a, a foundation, a gamatana, a basis for reflection is, you know, what we're doing now is, is learning to get totally familiar so that being present here and now is, is the easiest thing for us to do. And any, you know, no matter how much we might be carried away by the extremities of emotion, uh, there's that moment when we realize we're we're caught in it, where you know we've we're wound up by something, and then that this basis, the attitude of going, not not as some kind of repressive act to suppress your your strong feeling, but to use that strong feeling by reflecting on it putting it in a perspective of a Ramana or a Rome or a mental object. So we all have these opportunities. Living in a monastic community doesn't mean that, you know, that, that it's a, we're living in a peaceful uh, social environment all the time. We can make plenty of it. We can get very upset over little things. You know, the, you know we can make you know, all kinds of problems about one another or the convention and, and get quite quite uh, strong feelings and and then we spread these to the, to the rest you know so it, kind of, it spills out over onto the rest of the community
Now, in terms of tamanupasana satipatthana, then this this uh, teaching of the Four Noble Truths is something that serves one well. Because everything, all experience can be put in this context, in this paradigm. And so it's, it's not just a, a theory or just a one-off situation, you know. It's actually applying it to you know, it's pointing to the, to the, to the experience of what, of, you know, the reality of dukkha. It's how, what causes it, what, how it, that it ceases, the end of suffering and the way. So the path is like, fourth of all, is a way of non-suffering. Which is, it doesn't mean we don't experience, we're not sensitive anymore. It means we don't create suffering around the conditions that we're experiencing in the present. We know better than to, you know, put our finger in the flame because we, we know, uh, unless there's an important reason to do so, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, like to put the fire out maybe, but, also, the flame, like the candles on the shrine, they make a nice light. Fire is not, and it, you know, is a great gift to us. Keeps us warm in the winter. Cook food. Gives light. So, so the fire itself is is not the problem, is it? If we suffer from the fires, because we, we, uh, you know, we use it in the wrong way. <clears throat> so, just something as basic as when you put your finger in the in the flame of the candle, it hurts. When you when you've explored the four noble truths, you recognize that attachment to desire is like that. It hurts. You know, so it's, you know, there's no point in, in, in living a life of pain if, if there's a way not to. So it seems obvious that one just doesn't put one's finger into the candle flame. So, uh, from that metaphor, one doesn't grasp desire. And desire is still arise and cease, but there, you know, because this is a desire realm. The body, the human body is a desire body. Desire is the nature of this realm, you know, it's a, it's a sensitive realm, it's a realm of extremities, of right and wrong, good and bad, beautiful, ugly, good and evil, light and dark, Male and female, all these things are a part of this, you know, the, the conditioned realm. Then it's no judgment or taking sides with these conditions, but uh, understanding them, that by grasping them, then the, uh, is, the, is the, the grasping of these conditions is out of ignorance, is Dukkha. So we create dukkha out of ignorance. So 
So is a Paticca Samuppada, you know, where you explore that, investigate dependent origination, the vicha bhajaya sankhara, the avicca, is this ignorance of the Four Noble Truths and never, never uh, had any insight into these truths. So then we operate from the, from the um, habitual attachments of right and wrong, good and bad. <clears throat> no, so we, we, you know, we, even good people, being attached to being good people is still suffering. Because we, we're not just good in that we, we have all those forces, all those energies operating through our consciousness. Good and bad, good and evil, the light, the dark. There's nobody that is only good and never experiences any evil. So this is the way it is. It's not, you know, we, we learn from, from good and evil, from this duality, by understanding it. Not from judgment, judging it or taking sides with it, but in, in seeing it for what it is. The faith and Karanicha, all conditions are impermanent. The moral basis is do good, refrain from doing evil, is the, is the, is the, is the basis for living in society in the conventional realm. Good is, is our active side, bad is our passive side. But it's all Dhamma, so we're, we're none of it is, is a, a waste. It all is, uh, teaches the same thing, Sapeh Sankarani Cha. So don't, don't be afraid of your anger or fear or jealousies or things like this. You know, don't, you know, if you're a good person, oftentimes good people are very frightened in, in, of, of those, of that potential of evil within them. Remember years ago, when, when I was a teenager was studying, you know, psychology was, this is back in the late 40s when the psychology is still rather new kind of subject. And the idea of, you know, that you go and you look and you might find something, you know, pretty horrible about yourself. You know, I used to think, maybe it's better not to know anything. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. <clears throat> afraid of introspection, of looking inward, because I might find something really awful within me. There's that fear that deep down inside me there's some evil force that, uh, you know, I don't know about that could, you know, take me over. So vita is this ignorance of the way it is. 
So in in uh, Buddha Dhamma, it's it's observing the way things are, the way it is. It's not trying to to just uh, attach to goodness and ignore the other side because we're afraid of it and it's bad and we don't like it. But it's willingness to to look at even goodness in terms of what it is rather than as uh, through attachment, through ignorance and attachment. So then you conceive yourself as a person, don't you? You conceive yourself as a person that is has a vicha. You know, we, you know, so this is from my personal, my personality conceives, you know, sees myself as, you know, does not conceive myself as enlightened person, and uh, it assumes that that uh, avicca is my state of being. So, so this, um, so this is where the, the limitations of personality, isn't it? Because it's limited to, to that. I mean, you to memory, to assumptions you make about yourself, to your identities with your body and your uh, cultural, social conditioning, <clears throat> your ideals. And so, you know, trying to have an enlightened personality is, is uh, you know, an impossibility because personalities uh, are not that way. We don't become enlightened person, people. We, we can't make our personalities enlightened. So we're, we're not just rearranging the personality and and trying to make it nice and pleasant and good and compassionate and kind and all the best. But we're going beyond that to this awareness before the personality arises, before you become a person. And so this is like yesterday I was talking about how before you become a person, you know, before the Sakyaditi arises, what's, you know, Sakyaditi is created through thinking. And so, I mean, you, to recognize a, a natural state of awareness in which there's no person, no personality. <laughs> so in this gamatana, or this bringing, composing the mind, bringing our, bringing our attention to the pachubana dhamma, the here and now, then it's, it's this, uh, the breath, the posture, sound of silence, all this way of bringing, you know, centering into this, uh, still point of the turning world. That's why individually, you know, we, you know, 
enlightened beings don't necessarily sound enlightened when they talk because uh, that's not where it's at so then uh, and this is where you know this this Sati Sampatanya, intuitive awareness, is learning to recognize it and trust it. So you, you're not judging yourself in, in some way about someone who has it or doesn't have it. Uh, but whatever you think of yourself and your capabilities or lack of abilities in meditation, if you think you're a terrible meditator, be aware of that as a c- condition you're creating. Whatever you, however you conceive yourself as being a hopeless meditator, that in itself, you start thinking, I'm, I'm terrible at meditation. That is a create. You can start from there. Just who's saying that? What is it that thinks I'm not very good at meditation? Or if you don't understand anything I'm saying, what is that guy going on about? That you can be aware of that. And awareness, this isn't a matter of, of being even able to understand me, but what I'm saying is an encouragement to awaken to whatever, you you know, your, is, is happening at this moment. So in, you know, in terms of, I don't understand anything Ajahn Sumedho teaches is, you know, investigate that, listen to yourself thinking that. You know, what, so that you begin to, it's not a matter of trying to find out whether I'm right or wrong anymore, or whether you're just too slow or too dense to get it. It's starting from, you know, it's learning to trust yourself to, to uh, recognize it's like this you know from the, the I can't meditate is like this it's a you creating that perception you're attached to that view <coughs> so it's this is when I say trust yourself in this awareness you listen to the listen to yourself, you know, really think it out, you know. I I can't meditate, it's like this. So in thinking I can't meditate, I'm listening to myself thinking that. Or you know, I I you know, I haven't I've been meditating all these years and I've made no progress. It's another self creation, isn't it? I'm somebody who's meditated all these years and I haven't really I had any real profound insight. This is another self-creation uh, of that the one is, uh, you know, if one doesn't see it in terms of what it is as Dhamma, then then it, it does dominate our uh, 
our conscious experience, we relate to the world through those perceptions. So if, if you know, if one looks through, looks at the world through a, a glass that's very distorted, what are you going to get? You're going to get a distorted view. You know, so you, you, you know, you find glass that has all kinds of imperfections in it and you look through them or look through look put on somebody else's spectacles and see what the world looks like <laughs> and it distorts everything you see doesn't it if if you if you don't fit my prescription for my glasses then you put on my glasses then everything you see is going to be distorted by by the by the glasses distortion through the glasses so if you, you know, if your perception of the world is a distortion, you know, and that's what you're looking through, then you see everything from that. That's what Paticca Samupada is about, Avicca. If, if that's your, that's the, the glasses you're wearing is Avicca, then every, it distorts everything. You start with, with you know, with Avicca, and it distorts your thoughts, your emotions, uh, how you you know, your experience of life and which creates this dukkha. <clears throat> so it's not in trying to become someone that is enlightened, is it? That's, that's not it. Trying to, to make yourself into somebody who is enlightened by practicing meditation. But getting to the source or the getting to the cause of this suffering is with awareness. So in the first noble truth, the insight, understand dukkha. So I'm looking at things in and in in everything around me feels distorted and fraught and I'm discontented, frightened, anxious. And then the, the Buddha said, understand this, you know. What, to understand something isn't analyzing it, you know. I suffer because my mother didn't nurture me properly when I was a little baby. It's not that, even if that's true. That's not understanding dukkha. So it's like to stand under, to, to turn to suffering, you know, the feeling of lack or dissatisfaction or sadness or fear or loneliness or whatever however you it might whatever it might be for you to to understand it to admit it to recognize it so in this very act of 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 understanding dukkha you there's there's vicha there's you, you know the vicha isn't operating at that anymore So it's not becoming someone who doesn't have any more avicca, is it no longer an ignorant person, but in learning to trust yourself, to to look at something that maybe is quite <coughs> painful. You know, we want we'd like to blame our suffering on others. You know, we're blaming society. 
Who's to blame? Is one of the first emotional reactions we have when something goes wrong. Who's to blame? Whose fault is it? We want to find somebody to pin it on, you know. So, this is a blaming society. We always, you know, think the cause of suffering is, you know, somebody or other. We're looking outside saying it's your fault. Or we, you know, we can be, blame ourselves. Oh, I'm just so hopeless and I know I'm a real screw up and, and I'm to blame. Mia culpa. And <laughs> get lost in that one. Or at least that's more, a little more to the point than the other, isn't it? And we're always blaming somebody else. You know, I notice that people do tend to blame themselves. At least they're, they're kind of looking in the right direction. They've got the wrong interpretation, but they at least there, there is, you know, they're looking at this rather than, you know, always blaming the society or the wife or the husband or the monks or the nuns or whatever, and uh, mother and father. It, but it's, uh, but then blaming yourself isn't the answer either, is it? Because that's, that's your, it's your personality again. The assumptions you have about yourself as a person, I'm, I'm at fault and I'm, I'm a screw up and so <laughs> So instead of, you know, learning to trust in your awareness of this, of how, what the, the, the kind of avicca that you're creating, So in that moment, there's no avicca. That's like a, a point of awareness. When you're, when there's awareness, that there's no avicca anymore. So this you can trust. It's like the puto is the refuge. It's, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's something that, uh, as you recognize it and appreciate it more, it's, it's a, tr- it's trustworthy. It'll whatever happens to you, whatever <clears throat> life presents to you, you know, it's it's the way to not create suffering, to be free from suffering, regardless of what's happening to you on, on the, you know, physically or socially or whatever. So, vicha then, or wisdom and the enlightened mind is not something distant at all. It's here and now. It's seeing things. It's from this position of the still point. So it's not, not something you, you get through, through making yourself do things, but through an imminent act of trust, of, of opening, of uh, 
receiving this moment, the breath, the posture, the body as experience, sound of silence, the whatever is, you know, emotional uh, experience you're having right now, seeing, receiving it, accepting it, allowing it to be what it is. As soon as you, you forget that, then you get back into the struggle, uh, resisting of trying to hold on to something or get rid of it. So in understanding dukkha, it's, it's uh, you know, one can define, you say, uh, it's grief, sorrow, despair, and anguish, lamentation, uh, these words, you know, we can say. But that doesn't really mean we have any understanding of dukkha, just because we can, we have, we've seen uh, the thesaurus and found all kinds of synonyms for it. But in, in, uh, but in understanding it, it means to receive it. It's a, it's like the key or the clue. The first noble truth. It's a noble truth. It's not a miserable fact of life anymore. The understanding leads to the the second noble truth, which is the cause, the attachment to the three kinds of desire. So this attachment to desire is based on avicca. It's it's uh, the avicca is the, is the, is the basis for this for all suffering. Because when we when we when we see through the distorted glass, then then everything is distorted by the glass. Not that it is distorted in itself, but our the way we see it is affected by what is in by what we're looking through. So if we're looking at the world through a through a distortion, a perception of self, you know, of me and mine, then then uh, the world around me is, is is distorted with that perception. It's all about me and mine and this and that, what I think, what I'd like, don't like, what I approve and don't approve of, and how it should or shouldn't be. The whole my whole personality gets set off into it, you know its habits, emotional habits, its views and opinions. So if I see the world through my personality. Then, then I find the world very, you know, you know, wearisome thing. And I don't have any worldly ambitions. I don't have any kind of longings for worldly success or any anything like that. So I can't kind of create the illusion that in the future I will. You know, the world will is my oyster, and I will be able to to be a successful person. As that, when you're young, there's that kind of illusion. But at my age, you don't. You know, death is just around the corner. 
you know, old age, sickness and death, much more, you know, possibility in the future, you know, becoming a multi-billionaire and a president of the United States. I'm not <laughs> no worldly ambitions. So the world in terms of its conditions, you know, are p pretty tedious. Because you see the same thing over and over. The same old crap, really. Just people endlessly making problems up and issues and and uh, and we end up having meetings about it and discussing it and I don't know why though So then the uh, taking away the distorted glass is all one has to do, you know. And that is the imminent act of awareness. So in uh, dependent origination, you know, Abhicha bhajya sankara sankara bhajya vinyana. The, you know, this, the distortion we're looking through distorted glass. The, the sankaras, the body and the, and the, uh, mental conditions. You know, vinyana, uh, conscious experiences, then, then, then the experience through d distortion. You know, so if, if the, if I'm still, holding up my personality as myself and then then it affects my conscious experience what I experience, how I experience through the eyes and ears nose tongue body the thinking mind is going to be affected by this distortion of self it's always me and mine and the consciousness because nama rupa talayatana Pasa Vedana Dana Upadana and so forth. And then then we get into Dana Upadana, which is desire and and clinging. So just uh, you know that that is a, this simile of the distorted glass is is is, you know, I found quite useful that uh, it's not something that, you know, it's something I'm looking through that that I needn't look through. I have a choice. I can, you know, I can look at it in a different way. I can take away this distortion. And so the, the self-view, the sakyaditi, is, is a big distortion to experience. Because it always makes everything, you know, it, it puts me as a person into the center point. Yeah. 
And when when me as a person is the center of my experience, then then I create suffering. You know, the result is this dukkha. Soka parite watuka tomanasa upayasa. Grief, sorrow, despair, and anguish. So then the way out is to remove the distortion, and that is not to creating something else, but in removing the, 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 taking away the distorted glass, taking away the perception, letting go of that perception of self. And so how do you do that? It's as simple as paying attention, the puto, pachubana dhamma, Then the Satipatthana is just is a, the, like the Satipatthana Sutta, the four foundations of mindfulness is is a, you know is is an investigation of that. It's kind of a skillful means to to look at the body or Gayanupasana, Vedanupasana, Jitanupasana, Tamanupasana. So with Dhammanupasana Satipatthana, the foundation is is in Dhamma. You've got these uh, superb teachings, which which are expedient means only. You know they're not to be clung to, but to be used. They're tools for use. For the four noble truths, this is what they have to be used. And uh, this is what I'm encouraging you to do. <laughs> Now the upadana, dana upadana, clinging to desire. The second noble truth is the cause, the origin of this dukkha is through this clinging to kamadana, pavadana, vipavadana. So kamadana, of course, is is quite obvious, you know, the desire through the senses, through sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. One is pleasant, sensual experiences, desire for happiness and pleasure. And then, uh, bhavadana, vipavadana get more subtle, like bhavadana, ambition or trying to attain something. How much of your practice is based on bhavadana, trying to get something you don't have yet, some idealized state of samadhi or something you remember having experienced before and wanting it, wanting to have it again, having some wonderful meditation in the temple, uh, you know, where you're really just one with everything and it's just perfect and then you go back to your kuti, and then you get all stirred up again and come back into the temple wanting to have that experience again that you remembered having previously. It's a kind of pawadanha problem, isn't it? Pawadanha, wanting to get something, attain something, achieve something, become something. Then Vipavadanha, the desire to get rid of. 
the annihilationist in you, the one, the, the one that wants to commit genocide, kill the enemy, destroy the Al-Qaeda, get rid of the terrorists and the forces of evil. And it's very righteous too, you know, because, you know, these, these people, these terrorists are around murdering, killing, committing atrocities, doing terrible things, and they shouldn't be doing that. So we've got to get rid of them. And so, Vipuadanha is the, the desire to get rid of, you know, of a mental state or an emotion or even a desire to get rid of self. You know, trying to get rid of yourself is not the way. Or condemning yourself as being too egotistical, too self-centered, too selfish is a, you know, is a kind of vipuadanha that you shouldn't... You know, you're too selfish, self-centered, egotistical, vain. Uh, you shouldn't be. You've got to get rid of this selfishness and this ego inflation. So if you're practicing in order to get rid of yourself, that can be like, put that in a category of vipavadanha, attachment to the desire to annihilate. So these, these uh, three kinds of desire, you know, they're to be understood. They're not, they're not trying to get rid of desire. The main is getting, is, is getting out of the distortion of avicca. So desire is not, you're not blaming desire, putting the blame on dunha. But uh, this, in this context of the second noble truth, just notice that dunha is like this. You know, when I look at dunha, just the experience of a desire, it always has this kind of momentum to it, this doing something, you know, you're not... If you're caught in desire, you're never content. You never experience contentment or joy because desire is, it has this momentum and it's a kind of energy that's looking for an object, trying to get something, hold on to something or get rid of something. So if one is bound to this desire, you know, out of ignorance, then, then you're never content. There's always more to do, something more to get, something to get rid of. And on a personal level, that seems to be the case. When I, when I become my personality, and that personality is based on desire. It's not, my personality is not, not based on contentment and peacefulness. My personality is conditioned out of ignorance and desire. So it's always, wanting something or complaining about something or criticizing somebody or myself or the world around me or blaming somebody or or trying to to you know attain something achieve become one who succeeds and achieves or or feels I can't do it you know resign myself the fact that I'm I can't do it. So the 
the personality is uh, being attached to that is you know out of ignorance is the cause of suffering So you're not, we're not getting rid of, don't think you're ever going to get rid of desire, you know, you're never going to have any more desires. You, you, you're, through awareness, you actually understand, you know desire. This is a desire realm. You know, having a human body, it's a desire body. It needs things. You know, it needs to be fed. It, it has, it's a body for procreation. It's a, it's, it needs food, it needs all kinds of, you know, warmth and protection, things like this. So the, the senses operate, you know, so we, we see beauty and ugliness and create desire to, to hold on to the pleasure, the happiness, the beauty of life and desire to get rid of the, of the bad stuff. So there's nothing wrong with that, you know, and this is a not an annihilationist teaching at all. You know, so it's, it's understanding, getting to the source, to the cause, and then letting go. So letting go of desire is, is not uh, annihilating it. It's not resisting desire, but recognizing, knowing. It's a puto, the one who knows, the, this, this awareness, this discerning ability where wisdom operates and knows things, knows desires like this, gamma, sensual desires like this. Bhavadanha, desire for becoming is like this. Vipavadanha is like this. You, you become an expert on desire rather than someone that gets rid of it. You know, so the advice is to get to know your enemy. You know, just don't eradicate things because they, they offend you, but, you know, get to know. You know, get acquainted with the, with the, the causes of suffering. Not to eradicate them, but to, to know them to discern them, to see them in, in what for what they are, then they're no longer dangerous. You know, because uh, your, your relationship to desire is then one of knowing it rather than becoming it. So then that Letting go is the insight into the second noble. Letting go of desire is the insight to the second noble truth. And third noble truth, cessation. To be realized. Now this is, this real reality of that conditioned phenomena ceases. Isn't, uh, isn't kind of intellectual knowing of that or believing that through uh, thought, but recognizing cessation. When desire arises, it ceases. It, 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 that's its nature, is to cease. 
So, and this of course means patience. Desire makes us impatient. The developing kantibharami or patience, patient endurance with desires, knowing them, letting them be. So letting go is like letting them be what they are. And then you can observe, you can witness or realize a cessation. When desires cease, when then there's a recognition of its absence. Because awareness allows us to to witness the process of arising ceasing. So the insight into the third noble truth, cessation. And this is where we find contentment. You know, because we're, we're no longer caught in this uh, kind of compulsive, uh, compulsive, obsessive habits of desire. You know, and which never allow a moment of contentment in our lives. We can, we, we've let go, when we let go, we, 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 uh, we can, recognize or realize cessation and when desires cease what's left contentment peacefulness sense of relief we're not bound into this frantic becoming process anymore the stress is is gone <clears throat> So then, the recognition or realization of that is the path, the Eightfold Path, right samaditi, right understanding, right view. Then right view affects action, speech, emotional habits. You know, so in the path it's taking that into account, the body, the emotional uh, conditioning, the intellect. They're harmonized, they're integrated then in the Eightfold Path, in the Samaditi Samasangapo, right view, right understanding, right intention. And right, sama waja, sama gamanto, sama chivo, right speech, right action, right livelihood. Sama vayamo, sama sati, sama samadhi, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. So that is, uh, you know, the intellect, the body, and the emotional karma that we have is in this in this form of the human being. Instead of, you know, resisting each other and, and, uh, and, you know, we, you know, when we're, when we're seeing things through the distorted glass, we're, we're never together. We're fragmented, you know, our intellect and our emotions and our body, they're not cooperating in any way. This this kind of conflicts between feeling and ideas and physical needs, and that's you know just kind of a 
internal war of dukkha. But then in, in this kind of understanding, this reality, then there is the, the insight into this, what we call the eightfold path, or the, the uh, fourth noble truth. And this is to be cultivated or developed. Uh, so and this is the pavana. Though this Pali word pavana translated oftentimes meditation, but it is learning to trust this awareness. This is the this is the this is where it's at. And I know it at first it's it seems you know, to uh, personally it seemed quite difficult because, you know, it's easy to understand what I'm saying, I'm sure, but but uh, you know, on a personal level, it, one's personality is quite complicated, so we can make it into a lot of "I can't do it" feelings. So this is this is this encouragement is to is to uh, let you know you can do it, and it's a being patient and uh, you know learning to relax to open, to observe, to trust your, your awareness. Not to, not, and to be able to admit into consciousness, you know, some of your, these kind of obsessive habits, things that, that create endless suffering and dukkha for you. More and more you're kind of letting them be consciously received rather than just ha- uh, habitual reactions. I found in the, my own monastic life this this four noble truths is you know it's really uh, I've explored it for years now thirty eight years. Oh no, it's never let me down. It's just you know it's not like you know basic Buddhism for beginners. It's it's a paradigm that actually uh, you know is useful throughout your life. Because it, it's about this 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 realm the, the, that we're in and being human, and the and the suffering that that we all have as human beings, you know that's why Buddhism is, you know, there's so much interest in it in a, in the in the this age when it's such an ancient teaching, because it isn't it isn't talking about something that was maybe a problem in ancient India. It's talking about the problem of being a human being, really, which just hasn't changed at all from the time of the Buddha to this present moment. 